Self-acceptance with Brandon Cottingham. Hello, welcome to Build a Bootcamp. I'm your host, LJ Haywood. Build a Bootcamp is a podcast for aspiring entrepreneurs who are frustrated with their W-2 jobs. You can join us and learn how to build and scale your own business. Now, during each episode, I will introduce a topic that relates to business or entrepreneurship and whether or not it's myself or more than often a very special guest. Today we have Brandon. The information will be valuable in building and scaling your own business. We will get started right after this. Self-acceptance with Brandon Cottingham. Hey, how you doing, brother? Thank you for doing this show, by the way, man. Thank you a lot. Thanks a lot. Man, thank you for having me. I greatly appreciate it. I really do. (laughs) I want to give you a quality introduction. Uh, You and I connected on Clubhouse and one of the veteran spaces that they have there in the app. Uh, You know, Brandon actually comes back. uh, It has a background as a Marine. But when he got out of the Marine, you were a Marine uh, musician, right? What what instrument did you play? Play the euphonium. What the the hell is that? Yeah, it's like a mix between a trombone and tuba, actually. Oh, and, okay. Yeah, and then and then certain circles, it's a very prominent instrument, you know, for uh, for for what it does and, and it the makes way sense. It it's a it's yeah. an older it's an older instrument though, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because I play the trumpet and I so I play the brass section. So I'm yeah. like, that sounds it sounds different. Sounds like a like an old name because like they've had like mm-hmm. cornets and trumpets, and then they've got all these different different. Tip, Typical brass mm-hmm. instruments, but you know, a marching band isn't going to have those very unique, like timpanis and. Uh, yeah, you know, especially being in the Marine Corps, you know, we do nothing but marches. Like ninety-eight percent of what you play is a march. You know, John Philip Sousa and a lot of John Philip Sousa, but um, you know, and he and so you know, the euphonium was actually a very integral part. Of the way it's actually the closest instrument to the human voice. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Uh, and so it's a. It's that was the reason music. why I picked the trumpet because it, it it it's kind of like this like in the band it it it, it has the melody normally, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, real quick, also you uh you've done so when so you did that. That's awesome. We want to talk about that. Uh, we're also going to talk about your, your your experience as an auto engineer, uh, mm-hmm. social activist, um, investment banker. You also worked in uh, house government housing assistance, um, and then partnered with capital uh, with a capital group. Uh, you're also a loving father, husband, brother, uh, son, and you're just working to make uh, more equitable, make it more equitable for humanity. And I apologize, man. I'm stumbling through that whole thing. <laughs> no, you're good, brother. It's, you're good. You're good, man. It's all good. But here's the thing, man. Uh, the, there's a lot that we got to cover because today we're talking about self-acceptance. And I think that you have a military background like I do. And uh, by the way, I don't know if I told you this. Did I tell you that I got promoted to tech sergeant? That, that's... <laughs> Uh, I think I did you post it? I think you posted it on. So yeah, I saw it. So, uh, you know, uh, but yeah, congratulations, by the way. It's dope, man. Yeah, awesome. I think I saw your comments. Now, now that I think about it, you were like, yeah. what's up, tech sergeant? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that's dope, uh, man. But your comment actually was, the, uh, I had a lot of comments, but coming from, uh, uh, you know, my brother in arms, when I seen your comment, being that you're a Marine or anything, I was like, man, I appreciate that. Thanks a lot, man. I really did yeah, appreciate for sure. that. For sure. Um, a lot of hard work went into that, um, that whole promotion. Oh, yeah situation i remember my supervisor called me because i was on orders when i took it and uh i'm in the reserves and i was like hey thank you he called me back he was like wait a minute no you're not thanking me you earned this promotion so shout out to sergeant therian uh thank you so much uh for uh for you know kind of support me while i was on those orders and making sure that i had all the things i needed to do to get the job done you know because 
even though he's not on the flight line, we also have to look at the the people that are behind the scenes, making sure you got the right personnel, the right equipment, all those kind of things. So um, mm-hmm. thank you so much. So I want to go back a little bit and talk about your background. So because mm-hmm. I want to I want to get into all these great things you're doing currently. But where'd you grow up at? Like where uh, what was a uh, little Brandon like? Yeah, so um, I was born in North Louisiana. My parents are both from up there. Uh, my parents went to, uh, they met, I think they were 18, their senior year in high school, and they've kind of been together ever since. Okay. Um, they both went to Grambling, uh, HBCU up there, uh, the home of Eddie Robinson at the time. You know, Eddie Robinson was a the coach there. Um, really, up for the, in my mind, he's probably the best uh, uh, college court, uh, football coach there ever was. Were either one of them musicians, by the way? Were either one of them musicians? Yeah, my dad was a musician. So my dad actually was a music major until till he, you know, got a family and had Yeah, because you mentioned the HBCU, and I was just like, I was mm-hmm. thinking about that. Yeah, on my dad's side of the family, uh, a lot of musicians. My uh, my uncle actually was a jazz, te- taught jazz music as as a teacher. Nice. Um, I've got aunts and uncles who were, you know, the junior symphonies and out, of, out of North Louisiana, and, and, and my great uncles even were all musicians as well. You know, back then it was kind of it was different. You know, people that was uh, music was part of the you know the school lexicon still. You know, yeah. whereas now you know uh, it's, it's just sad. It's yeah, sad you know, now. you think back in the you know the seventies and the sixties and seventies, how many great bands there were: Earth, Wind and Fire, um, yes. you know, the Ozzy Brothers. You know, um, yeah, oh, what's dog. My, what's my film? Uh, um, you know, just a lot of great bands back then, and so yeah. you know that was that sound and. and you know, my, you know, my, my, my dad, and, you know, he was in a couple of bands. He played saxophone and, and, uh, like I said, he actually, he actually was in the Gremlin marching band. So he was, you know, did the whole HBCU band thing for a year. He said it was rough. He said it was like, it was worse than being on the football team, the level of <laughs> practice they had to do and, and rehearsal and, and the physicalness, the physicality of it all. So, um, but yeah. So, you know, I was, I've kind of always knew I was going to be, you know, a musician for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of just you know just what what we did and my dad taught us to read music at a very young age um and so it was just a natural thing for me but uh, except i was born in north louisiana as well we moved to houston texas i was about four and mm-hmm. uh, you know my parents went where the jobs were where the money was and um after school and uh, both of them you know were college you know college educated so you know they came down here um hmm. we moved you know pretty much my parents have been in the same house for man i'm uh, about 35 years now, 36, 30 years, something like that. They moved, we moved in the eighties and, and, um, you know, they, they've been together for 46 years, you know, so, or married 46, been together like 48 years, but wow, what a um, blessing, man, that's crazy. Yeah, man, it's dope. You know, it's really cool to see that. And it just reminds me, you know, with my marriage of, you know, Hey, it's, it's a process, you know, it's a, it's a marathon, you know, shout out to Nipsey, but it's definitely a marathon, you know? And, um, you know, so, but yeah, I was, uh, you know, when we moved to Houston, we were living in Houston and we moved out to a little, you know, now it's a full suburb, but back then it was a small town. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a place called Pearland and um, just like, you know, it's right outside the city. Uh, that was an interesting setup for me um, from the third grade to probably the ninth grade. I was the only black kid in any of my, any of my classes. Wow. So, and then, you know, even in high school there, you know, we were, it was a, it was a, it was a group of us, but. Uh, we were never concentrated enough to really have more than like two of us in the class together. So um, that was a unique experience. I really, I'm glad, you know, at a young, at a young age, it was difficult for me. Um, but as I've gotten older in life, I really see the advantages because it allows me to um, 
have empathy for 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 people and understanding in different ways that a lot of people don't have. You know, um, being able to kind of grown up in um, two different worlds in, in essence, and uh, and understanding, you know, really seeing that how people are, are the same in a lot of ways, but still culturally, cultures might be different, but the needs of people are all the same. You know, so hundred percent, I agree with that hundred percent. Now, early on, what were some of your desires? Because um, you and I have a lot in common. When I was in, when I was in, uh, when I was growing up in high school my band director actually i believe he his background was at a, a historically black university and it was funny because when we would compete for competition we would march like the historically black colleges but we're from california and we would oh, actually Lord. get penalized because mm-hmm. out in la the way you march is that real heel toe marching you know what i'm talking about yeah 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 but we did the high stepping we were high stepping yeah. out, out <laughs> them, you know what i'm saying we yeah, was out there yeah. high stepping in cali yeah. and i was just like I thought it was funny because they uh we would lose a lot of points but our performance was just like legit it was dope yeah yeah and so we didn't really care about that but the other bands just look kind of boring they were just kind of because they, they were they were performing for the points and we mm-hmm. were ours was more towards the audience the games so that's uh I, and yeah. then i actually when i got out of high school i had the dean of knoxville college which is a historically black university mm-hmm. um I I was talking to him, but he he was gonna he was gonna sponsor me to go to school. He was a friend of the family, but um, when um, when I spoke to him, there was a flood or something happened. And I, I don't know if it related to Katrina, but he had a, he, he went into some financial situations where he couldn't finance me going to school. It was a private. It was pretty much going to be a private scholarship, mm-hmm. right? And uh, that was one of the reasons why I ended up going into the um, the Air Force. As a matter of fact, long story short, I was actually going into the Marines initially. <laughs> and I, I swear, and uh, because there was this couple that lived next door to me when I was living in San Diego, and you know San Diego, you know, and so I'll stay your head, so yeah, right, yeah. So you know how the deal is. So I was living in North Park, and my neighbors were both, um, they were both, well, they're both Navy, but they had some Marine friends there, mm-hmm. um, and they were medics, uh, corpsmen, I believe it was corpsmen, yeah, yeah. And uh, I met these guys; they were super dope, super cool. So it was either the Navy or the Marines. And then I spoke to a brother that ended up being, he was ex uh, FBI, but he, he was retired now. Right. And he, he ended up being one of the first brothers that was a secretary for a general on base. Nice. And he was telling me this whole story about how it was very tough for him because the secretary role was typically like a woman's role, I mm-hmm. guess is what they would say, but he could type faster than anybody. Right. He was black too. So he was like, and he was older gentleman. And he was telling me this whole story about how he got promoted and like he had this great story, but he was all he was in the Air Force and he convinced me. He's like, look, if you score very well on the ASVAB, I, I recommend you go to the Air Force and and do that thing. And literally, uh, if I hadn't had that conversation with him, I probably would have went into the Marines or the Navy. But uh, yeah, it was kind of crazy how things one conversation could change everything. Yeah. I, um, How'd you get in? So my junior year in high school, a friend of mine came to me and was like. And I'm auditioning for the Marine Corps band. And I was like, okay, that's cool. Because I always knew I wanted to do something in music. You know, I was like, kind of, I knew when I left college, high school, you know, I, I wanted to uh, do something in music. And this yeah, opportunity came. Yeah. The opportunity came and um, I went for the audition, you know, and um, out of eight people, I was the only one who made it past the audition on the first try, too. And so the guy was like, 
So the guy was like, yo, you, you made it, you know, congratulations. And I was like, okay, cool. And I was like the last person to go that day. It was interesting. But, um, you know, so that's how I ended up in the, <laughs> uh, that's what's up, man. I don't, I don't even have a horn anymore. It's been so long. It's been so long, man. Um, I got a mouthpiece over here that sits on my desk. But other than that, man, I, 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 I'm, I'll tell you a story about that in a second. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So, yeah, so it was pretty much a dare. A friend of mine was like, yo, I bet you I'll make it before you, I make it before you do. And I was like, I know you won't. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I can be pretty competitive sometimes. And um, I went and of course I made it. She didn't. And I ended up on the yellow footprints. You know, um, it was a shock to everybody. And I think it was just a foregone conclusion. I was going to college. Uh, you know, you know, we're, I guess I'm third generation college educated. Uh, my grandfather uh, uh, went to college, you know, so for, you know, a black man back then to go to college was a big thing. Um, I, you know, both my parents went to college, all my, all my aunts, uncles, cousins, you know, we're, we're pretty much everybody just, you know, education is, is, uh, I'm a big believer in education, you know, either, whether it be formal or informal, you know, um, just information and understanding is very important. And, right. uh, but learning how to think, how learning how more importantly, learning how to think is, is, is really where I think it's where you really get that. And, you know, you learn how to build networks and socialize and things like that. Um, but, uh, so yeah, so I, like I said, I just knew that, you know, it was, it was, it, no one had ever thought I was even going to think about the military. You know, I don't come from a military family or any of that, but the band, yeah, the music, the band opportunity came, the music opportunity came. I was like, well, look, I looked at it as like, almost like going to the league. I was like, okay, cool. I can go, go do this thing for, you know, for four years and, and, and I'll be able, you know, see the world and do this stuff and blah, blah, blah. They promised me all this stuff. Um, I tell people I have a love hate relationship with the Marine Corps. And, um, you know, I, I, if I'd, if I'd know what I know now, to be honest, I probably joined the air force. I would have gone down a couple more doors to the air force. I scored very high on the ASVAB. You know, that with intelligence was never the issue. You know, I got testing <laughs> for Intel, but I was in the band. And what I started understanding was, you know, those billets are, are very, scarce you know once you're in kind of in the band it's like that's, that's what it. you do and it's, it's hard to even yeah, it's hard to even get other people in and out which actually kind of leads to my experience i actually was administratively separated from the marine corps i had two years and two months and like 20 days or something like that 22 days and um i uh got caught up you know i'm i i had i did i made young people's mistakes and um and for that, I paid a serious price for it. And, you know, knowing what I know now, I would have probably opened up more and reached out for more help specifically. But, you know, at that time, I had a lot of shame around that. And, uh, you know, and so it was it was rough for me. You know, I didn't tell my parents. I didn't share what was going on. You know, I was out in San Diego. My parents still in Houston. You know, I, I felt that I was I was letting everybody down. You know, and I, 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 I be, that was the beginning of me. Uh, when I started not trusting and trusting myself because I thought I was doing the right things and um, would end up, you know, we call it, they call it bad and uh, good, good judgment, bad, you know, bad, initi good, good initiative, bad judgment. That's what they used to say all the time. And um, I still really don't understand that concept, but okay. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, I do, I get it, but I think the wording is it, from a military standpoint, I understand it. And right. Um, right. so, you know, that, that was began 
that's when it began for me because I never had an issue of like not believing in myself. I was kind of, I guess people would call it cocky, you know, but not really cocky. I was just self-assured. You know, I, I was, I grew up in a very loving home. Um, you know, I grew up in the church, you know, it wasn't like, you know, I, I, you know, my parents, I have a great relationship with my parents. You know, we, we, we see each other weekly, you know, talk, you know, sometimes daily, you know, so, uh, family life is very good. And, um, when I joined the Corps, uh, it was specifically when I got to my duty station, um, just some things that were happening. I didn't really understand politically, you know, the things that went on. Uh, and like I said, I, I'm not saying I didn't have my, I know I definitely had ship, have my responsibility in that process and what happened and, you know, for the, the mistakes I made. But, you know, looking back on it now, especially to my age now, I, I definitely would never have taken the same route that was taken with me um, to, to get me to perform the way I would have wanted somebody to perform. I love how um, you put that. Yeah. You know, so uh, I think I was listening to one of your podcasts the other day. And you were talking about that, about um, uh, people um, giving into you and helping you and 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 nurturing you. No, the lady was talking about um, being being uh, managed by you know, and and how your managers have to give tr- you know you know train you up to be able to get to those next level. And you talked about it with you know earlier with your promotion. You know, people really giving into you and helping you and moving you. You know. I, uh, that didn't happen in a way that should have happened for me, you know, now knowing that, you know, I, I see that. And so just, you know, shit I want to speak, speak to that real quick when yeah. you get a chance. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. So what I've learned in my, in my experience in the back and in, in my background in military is, uh, and I'm, I, and I, and I really, I really applaud you. And I thank you for being so transparent with this situation, because this is very, very important to cover. I've learned the best stuff from the worst leaders. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I what not <laughs> yeah. to do, you know, because what not to do. Career, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Early on in my career, I and I honestly look back at how crazy I was. Cause now that I'm I'm older, I have more <laughs> rank, I have more responsibility, I have more oversight. People are looking to me to make decisions. I can see how much of an issue I was to, mm-hmm. to the leadership. Now, would I change anything? Probably not, because you really can't. But I look back, I'm like, damn, I'm surprised that I got away with a lot of the shit that I got away with. Just from a way I talk to people, mm-hmm. I had a chip on my shoulder. I had this weird energy. So um, I think I, I think that the things that I needed to learn took me a lot longer. And I remember I was just saying, I was like, damn, it's taking a while for me to get this promotion. But I think things just come to you when when you're ready for them, you know? Yeah. Um uh, I think at a, at this time in my life, I'm much more seasoned, mature, patient, mm-hmm. um, more self-reflective. I know I ain't the shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a lot of um, like this false bravado that comes mm-hmm. with being, in, especially in the black community. Right? We've got this kind of like ego that really needs to be uh, addressed. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and and I think that that was uh, very, very poignant what you were just talking about is like you look back at it from different eyes. You're like, damn, like maybe um, maybe. And again, maybe the people that you dealt with, and I had this situation too, went about it the wrong way. But at the end of the day, you know, humans are humans. They're going to make mistakes yeah. and they're going to they're gonna look at a situation and and, and mis miscalibrate it. I remember one time I was reading. So. Fast forward, right? I started to kind of get some traction, 
started to learn more about leadership, about mentorship, about interpersonal communication, things that mm -hmm. we're talking about, right? And uh, I would read a book on how you would approach something. It was like start with why or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And how to ask questions of the leader, how to how to pull out, how to connect with people, these kind of things, right? Which we, we you know we we have to really focus on now, anyhow. And I <laughs> I would be reading the book and say do X, Y, and Z to get this result if this happens. And I'd look up and the guy that was running our shop at the time would do the exact opposite of what it would say in the book. And I remember one day I got up and he would be sitting there looking at me, right? He was like, he's like, what are you reading? I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get you a copy of this book. And I gave him a copy of the book because he was in a leadership position. I could have sat back and been like, this guy's in charge. He's an idiot. Let him figure it out. Kind of mm -hmm. like he was actually one of those situations where me being the way I was. And I, I, hey, look, I'm not that way anymore, guys. But the way I was back in the day, I was gonna let you, I was gonna give you enough rope to hang yourself. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Enough rope to keep on messing up to where they're like, yo, man, this guy's trash. I was that guy, you know what I'm saying? But I was I was growing, you know what I'm saying? And I literally was like, here's a copy of the book. I need you to read this. It's a very short read. It'll help you out with how to avoid these landmines you keep walking into. Right. Cause just because yep. you got the rank doesn't mean you know how what you're doing with it. Yep. And there's levels of leadership. There's like you got a position, you got to position yourself as somebody that people can come to, they can trust. Just because you got that rank, you know, it's funny too, because like uh, there was a there was a quote where George Washington or whatever, right? He was like he was smoking a cigarette, and it said like no smoking, right? It was like on, on like on this, uh, it might be just a joke. I don't know if it's an actual story, right? But he smoked a cigarette and it said no smoking. So this petty officer walked up to him and was like, or whatever, like you know, like like low ranking uh, mm -hmm. soldier walked up to him and goes, "Hey, sir, you can't smoke here." He turns around. He's a full. You know, he's a, you know, like he got all yeah, the stars. Yeah. You know what all the stripes and stars. He goes. He looks at the. He looks. He looks at the soldier and goes, "Just be lucky that I wasn't a lieutenant." You know what I'm saying? Because like, because <laughs> when you got the rank, I ain't tripping on you. <laughs> <laughs> That's real. Because you right know there, a lieutenant would have would have got on him, right? That's real. But when you yeah. got the real, real, when you got the real authority, you don't have to really flaunt it as much as as, mm -hmm. as one of that. As more that I got from that story. Yeah. And I've found that the more relatable I am with the guys that I work with, the more I can influence them to get the things done mm -hmm. and get done. Uh, I, I've been sharing this, sharing this story a lot lately. I had a young airman that um, was dealing with some things at home, was started coming in late. Very, very clever dude, but was just mind fogged. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And when you're working on planes, I can't. You now you're becoming like a danger to the your liability. Yeah, your liability. And uh, and I don't think he saw what I was coming from. So I said, hey, look, man, we're going to go to lunch. I'm going to get you lunch. I need you to tell me what's going on. This is your opportunity to let me know what's going on. Otherwise, I, I mean, I don't want to hand you paperwork. You know what I'm saying? This is, it's gotten to that point. And, you know, family's going through a divorce. I've shared this on the podcast a couple of times, so I apologize for I heard this story. But my point is, there's a way that I would have handled that maybe 10 years ago where it would have been like, yo, this guy's an idiot. He comes in late. I can't trust this dude. Where the hell is he? Like I told him before, too, I say, look, if you're having a rough day, you, you're coming up late, just shoot me. If you're late for work, I can vouch for you. Meaning if you're on your way to work and they say, hey, hey, well, where's so-and-so? I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in formation. If I got a text and you're on your way, I can say you're on your way. Right. But if I don't got that text, I can't. Yeah, you know, we can handle that. You. We can handle that on yeah. the back end. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. And I told him, I'm like, dude, I need you to do that. Just to cover your own ass, because you know, what I'm saying I'm gonna be up, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be all right. You know what I'm saying, but I need you to. So we need to coordinate, and but that stuff has to be done. Those conversations have to be had before 
the situation. You don't wait mm-hmm. as a leader for things to start going all cattywampus, and then you now you're wondering what's going on with your team. It's like yeah. you, you play all that stuff out beforehand, yeah, and then you 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 go off and you do your thing. You you could speak to this as well, right? Yeah, definitely. It's funny that you bring that situation up because that's actually exactly what happened to me. And mm. you know, um, when wow. we were in the band, we had this crazy schedule. Like we didn't have a regular, you know, you know, muster could be whenever because you know we might have a performance. We would work weeks every day, you know, because, you know, weekends, I was in San Diego. So on the weekends, you have parades you did. Every Friday, we did graduation. Every Thursday was Visitors Thursday. There was just a lot going on. Then we would have field day. You'd have rehearsals. You'd have, you know, just private practice. It was every single, it was a lot of people realized, I mean, we were, we worked a lot and it was a lot of, you know, it was a great job. And I'm not, it was a great experience. I look back on, I got to do some really cool stuff and meet some really cool people. Um, uh, but, you know, as a young person, um, you know, well, there were some things that happened structurally. I was the only person in the band that lived in the barracks that didn't have a room, band roommate. So there was no buddy system. So I literally, for a while, I lived by myself in the barracks. Right. I didn't have a roommate right. at all. And so if I was late, there was no one there to wake me up to be like, hey, bro, we got to get up to go, you know, make it. And and, you know, and I'm finding out later, many people were like, man, if it wasn't for my roommate, I'd, I'd have been late many times. And, wow. uh, you know, this is after the fact, of course, after I've been crucified on the, you know. Nobody's going to admit that when you. When you yeah, say, you know, when you're a Lance Corporal, Corporal yourself, you're just like, yo, I'm just trying to stay below the radar. I want to, you know, and, and I, I understand. I don't blame them. They're like, I'm trying to stay far away from the fire line as I can, too, you know. 100%. And, and you know, so. um you know, and that exact thing happened to me. They were like, look, if you're going to be late, call us. And I, and, and I was like, all right, cool. So I had a situation come up. I got off. You know, this is in the 90s. You know, there was no cell phones and stuff like that. You couldn't send a text. You couldn't do any of that stuff. So I literally had to get off the you freeway. Had a beeper? I was joking. I'm joking. <laughs> I did have a pager at the time. But um, I had to get off the freeway, make the car, call them and told them, hey, if you're going to be late, let us know. And, I, and what's weird is like maybe like two months before that, they had just, I had just gotten praise for the growth and the change in my behavior. Cause I recognized I needed to tighten up. And so I tightened up and um, finally had this one incident and you know, I was late and they just, and it was, they just sent me up the river, man. And it was just like, but I did what you guys asked me to do, which then rolls right, which created then the real aspect of, well, shit, well, and it, it, what's wrong with me. And that's when I really started looking at my, and that's the first time in my life I'd ever really looked at myself like, Oh, there's something wrong with me. And um, that stuck with me and created a lot of downhill spiral for me for for a good decade of, wow. you know, not, um, you know, because, you know, you know, in the, in the military, especially in the Marine Corps, being a Marine was part of my identity. It still is. You know, it's very much part of who yeah, I you, am. You, 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 you seem like you, you might have internalized it uh, a lot like most Marines, most, mm-hmm. most, most as part of the as part of the lexicon, right? Part of the yeah. ethos, right? Yeah, definitely. It is. And, you know, you so for me, it was, you know, I lost those relationships because, you know, I'm an unsat Marine now. And, you know, I went from being you know, I was a squad leader in boot camp. I was a leader in, in school of music. I was everywhere I went. I, I'd always I was a leader in high school. I'd always been a leader. I'd never had this situation ever like this happened to me where I was just this, you know, shit bag pretty, pretty much. And I just went from yeah. being that to literally all like overnight being this and not even understanding it was you know, I could I just couldn't understand what was going on and you know, I want to I want to discuss and I don't mean to cut you off I want to discuss what 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 you did to kind of get get out of that funk right yeah um, 
right? But real quick, before we get into that, I, I, I wanted to, first, I want to thank the audience for listening. If you get any value out of this conversation, please share it with three people. Um, you know, anybody that's a, a, like entrepreneur minded, maybe they have a military background, they're transitioning. This is going to be some good information for those kind of people. Uh, I'm also live on Clubhouse. I've got some friends on that wanted to ask some questions. I've got my buddy Jay. I've also got my friend Chandra. If either one of you or both of you wanted to ask uh, Brandon a question as it relates to like, self-acceptance or anything you've heard during this conversation, or if you got a comment, uh, feel free. Jay? Uh, right now, I'm actually good, brother. I think this man has a very interesting story. Um, pretty cool to get to see it from you guys' perspective. Uh, you know, me personally, I don't have any military background. So, you know, I always get to see these kind of type of things from a civilian standpoint. Don't really know what type of struggles you guys actually go through, um, not only mentally, but, you know, just, just, you know, I mean, pretty much mentally just trying to figure it out and, uh, you know, as you progress through the ranks. So I think it's a really interesting conversation, but I will have some questions a little bit later. All right, man, let me know. Uh, just hit me up in the back channels. Chandra, how you doing, miss? Uh, you got any questions for us or any comments so far throughout our conversation? And thank you. Hey there. Hi, LJ. Hi, Brandon. Hi, Jay. I actually do not have any questions. Um, just listening, really. And um, what I'm noticing is um, and appreciating is just how much self-reflection um, you two have discussed. Um, I think it's essential that we just kind of um, are you know, we take time out to actually take an honest look at ourselves um, and challenge where we are versus where it is that we want to go. Um, and, you know, are brutally honest in some situations when uh, we don't necessarily want to have to look that closely at ourselves. But I think it's a great conversation and I'm enjoying it. So thank you. Well, thank you so much. Matter of fact, that might that might actually tie into what you were getting ready to talk about, because you did mention, Brent, that you kind of hit that wall. Um, mm -hmm. right. And, and it kind of puts you in a, a bit of a funk. We'll say, you know, just kind of like, I, I don't want to label it too much, but you, and so what were some of the things that you did during that time when you kind of hit that wall, when you, when, when you, when, when you saw that, the, that opportunity was kind of slipping away, so to speak? Um, you know, to be honest, I didn't really, so I got removed from the band and, um, uh, and it's interesting because as soon as I left the band, I, I went to, um, you know, the service um, and, and I knew everybody on base. And when I got administered, when I got separated, I'll never forget the warrant officer there. He was, um, looking at my paperwork and he was just so reluctant to sign it because he was like, I cannot believe this is happening to you of all, like you're one of the smartest, but you know, most, there was just, he was just, he couldn't believe it. He was just like, this is crazy. And, you know, um, at that time I was married. And, you know, so of course now I go from being the breadwinner of our family, so I'm supporting everybody to no money. <laughs> and it was very depressing, you know, and as a, you know, I'm 20, I'm 20 years old and, you know, I've been married a year, 20 years old, you know, um, I'm away from home, you know, like I said, for my family life, we're, we were pretty close knit, you know, um, and right. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't really share with them what was going on, like I said before, because I was, I was pretty embarrassed about it. And, um, and it just kind of, I didn't really think I was going to get a full separation, to be honest. I thought that they were just going to give me some, you know, NJP or something like that. And, 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 you know, I, I 
you know, I do my time and, and whatever. And that's when the, that's when I'm understanding now the politics of it. I had, there's some other things that I didn't really understand that were going on, but, um, so I ended up getting out and I was totally depressed. I mean, it, it was, it was bad. So it, I got, I, I just didn't know what to do. I was just a musician. I was like, well, I'd always thought I was going to be, be a musician. I was going to go to college. So now because I was separated, I lost my GI bill. I lost, you know, a lot of these benefits and you know, I, I didn't know how I was going to pay for college. I didn't know how I was going to do any of this stuff. And I really didn't have, uh, at that time, have the drive or the want or desire to do any of that stuff. I was just very, I was very depressed. Um, one of the good things that happened to me though, was when I was getting separated going, um, uh, um, the, the guy that taught our class, he he was an Amway. And he came to me and was like, hey, look, man, you know, he he, he, nah, I look, he was really trying to help me out. And he was like, hey, you know, come this Amway stuff, you get in. You know, I, I never, I was just still such in a bad headspace. I really couldn't figure it out. You know, um, I tried and it just, I was just didn't believe, I didn't trust myself. That was, you know, I really didn't trust myself anymore. Uh, I finally got a job, a friend of ours, a neighbor, her dad. I started working with, with her dad, um, delivering. Uh, we were delivering copy machines, assembling and delivering Toshiba copy machines. And I worked in this warehouse with this, you know, with this guy, this older gentleman, super cool. It was a great experience. And um, they taught me a lot, but I still was just in this bad place. Um, at the, that's when my wife left me. That was a crazy, that's a whole crazy story. But um uh, that whole, that, and that just started this downhill spiral after that, you know, my car was repossessed. Um, you know, I had to move to find roommates. I had to do all this stuff, you know, ended up, you know, just long story short, ended up couch surfing <laughs> for a while, you know, place to place, you know, it was, and then I finally was like, my parents were like, you're coming home. Once they realized what was going home, going on, I, I think I'm like 21, 22. And, and they're like, bring your ass home. You know, I couldn't afford it anymore. Southern California, San Diego, super expensive. And um, I mean, I loved it there. It was a great, it was a great experience. I had such an amazing time in San Diego, um, but you know, it was just better. It was time to come home. So I came home, but that made me feel like a failure in itself. I never thought I would be back in my parents' house, you know, you know, living in my old room again and doing all this. So uh, I came home and, you know, it was just, uh, it took me a while to find a job. I still had this because uh, this whole time I had I wore this. It was like you know uh, what's on Charlie Brown, the one that walks around with the cloud over his head and the rain, you know, or you know I felt like that. I felt like everywhere I went there was this dark cloud over me and rain. And I in, outwardly, uh, no one really knew. Or inwardly, I was just torn up inside. I was broken up. You know, um, I, I drank a lot. I did a lot of drugs. I did too many drugs probably. And um, uh, just, you know, just kind of was coasting, existing through life. Um, you know, met a young lady. I probably should have never been in a relationship. Uh, that was tumultuous <laughs> for, you know, for about four well, years. I want to ask you something real quick, because it sounds like, it sounds like, um, this, this is happening still, right. With, with, mm -hmm. with, with veterans, right. Currently. And we, 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 we've talked about this on, uh, offline on other conversations and, and what what I want to say was that a lot of it sounds like you might have been in like a, a slight depression or oh yeah or maybe uh, or, or some sort of depression at the time, but because of when you were in the military, I don't think that the, it was really a um, was it even discussed back then, or was it like even a conversation to be had? Because right. um, 
like there depression, had to be a... PTSD, and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Nah, yeah. man, not really. No, because I was you know, cause technically I, I got the Firewatch ribbon for the first Gulf War. Right. So you know nobody right. was really talking about that stuff back then. You know, yeah. I was like PTSD. What's that? You know, when they started talking about it, you know, we kind of you know it is especially in you know now I'm understanding it. You know, it comes in in so many different forms. Trauma, trauma is trauma. And, you know, whether it be emotional, physical, spiritual, you know, uh, it's still trauma. And, uh, and and there can be a combination of all the ones that can, can go on, you know, for periods of time. And if it's not dealt with accordingly and really looked at, it just stays there with you. It's just this whole, you know, this this um, these synopses that aren't don't have a connection. And so they're always looking for this connection and they never find it. And you can carry that with you for a while. I just got a I just got a comment from one of our listeners uh, Ms. Bates, did you say you had a question uh, for Brandon, ma'am? Yeah, I do. I'm really curious. To, uh, the, the story that you're sharing is really awesome. But what really struck home for me was your love of music. And I'm wondering how your love of music plays into what you're doing right now. I was just about to get there. That's a, that's a great exactly. question. Great yeah. question. So, so after um, after the relationship ended with, you know, with a young lady, um, she was a great person. You know, um, I was really the one that was all messed up. And um, I was sitting there and I was like, look, I just knew I, I, I kind of I, I knew I was at a point in my life. I need to do something different. And and I, I was like, OK, I know I'm smart. I know I can go to college because I was in Texas because I enlisted in Texas. They have a thing called the Hazelwood Act and the Hazelwood um, shout out to anybody who any veterans in Texas. If you, you know, you can they'll pay for your school. They'll pay for your your tuition and your books. And now you won't get anything extra for room and board like the GI Bill does to help you pay. So you just focus on school, but it paid for my tuition and books. And then with financial aid, I was able to kind of couple that and be able to go to school. So I was like, all right, I need to go to school. I didn't know what I want to go to school for. I was like, well, I love music. I haven't played an instrument in a while. I'm fortunate that the junior college here, Houston Community College, had an audio engineering program. So I was like, dope. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll go do that, you know, because I know music. I understand it. It's something that won't be hard. I've, I've kind of been in this audio world before. I've been in technical. I've always been in theater and all that kind of stuff and worked on stage. And so I was like, cool, I'll walk into that. And that was when I first, that was, you know, when I started really kind of doing for myself. But um, I guess maybe a year, a couple of years before that too, kind of the same thing happened to me again, though. I got introduced to another network marketing opportunity. And, you know, it, it didn't really pan out. But what this time would happen for me was I got introduced to books and, you know, a lot of personal development. You know, the first book, you know, The Master Key to Riches. By That's Nicole a game changer. That's a yeah, game. So, so yeah. when I started reading, I just started reading and reading and reading. So I guess good or bad and different, I didn't have a lot of money. So I really didn't have like, I didn't have a computer. I didn't have, I didn't, I couldn't pay for cable out of TV. But, you know, but it, it actually ended up working out great for me because all I did was go to work, go to school and come home and read. And like, you know, I played Madden, of course, but like other than that, like, but majority of my time was spent reading, going to school and, and working. And, you know, for about two years, all I did was really kind of focus on on me and getting in. And that was big, really began the aspect of me kind of changing, you know, planting those seeds, change, you know, making the soil fertile because, you know, um, a lot of people have been dropping seeds on me, but the time who I was was so barren and so dry that any seeds that were planted there couldn't, couldn't germinate. They couldn't grow. And so I had to start reflecting and changing who I was. I still hadn't gone and gotten therapy yet, 
but I at least had started, you know, reading and looking at myself differently. And I started seeing the world differently and started looking at opportunities, started understanding about business, how business work and systems. And I was just really fortunate um, that, you know, I got introduced to, you know, to these books and I just started, you know, just started taking them in, taking them in, taking them in, taking I was still doing a lot of negative stuff and had a lot of negative self-talk and damaging to myself. But at the same time, I was preparing the soil. I was doing the work now. And um, when I got to school, it gave me a purpose. I was like, okay, this is something I know everybody, you know, it's been kind of expecting me to do. So I finally got to that place and I was able to start going to school and doing the thing. And um, it really gave me a focus and more of a purpose. And, um, and it, it started, you know, just started, started the change of my life. Can I ask you a question about this? Uh, because uh, that that's all exactly what uh, what I wanted to kind of transition into, which is when you started reading these books, right? Because now you got different ways of thinking, right? You have yeah. different strategies, different tools, techniques you can start applying to patterns of thinking that you can apply to things that you're like, oh shit, if I would have known this ten years ago, goddamn, you know that kind of thing, right? Um, now, when you sat down, because you had this epiphany that okay, I got to change. The books were kind of helping you come to these some of these, these thinking. What was the what was the epiphany moment where you started? Because right now you're working in invest. Are you, are you still working in investment banking? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh yes. hell yeah. Okay, I want to make sure. And a hundred percent right. And um, what was the epiphany that kind of got you into that sphere of influence and that and that and that? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's that's a really good question, man. Um, so when I finished my audio engineering degree, I went to Texas Southern. Uh, it's an HBCU here in Texas. And Houston. And um, I went there because, well, well, two things. I knew I was going to admire in business because I, knew, I wanted to own my own studio. I was like, well, if I own my own studio, that doesn't, it's going to be a while before that makes me money. So I needed right. to have a way of financing that. And I, you know, I didn't understand. So I was like, okay. And I also need to understand a recording business. studio, right? You yes, a recording studio. Gotcha, gotcha. And okay. I knew I needed to also understand business and know if I was going to run the studio. So um, when I went to Texas Southern, at the time, I, I went there for to get a four-year degree in audio engineering, but the program wasn't wasn't up and running yet. So I ended up I knew it was my minor business, so I just started taking my business classes. Well, well, the program never the audio program never got really going until until like I was like two and a half years in, and but by that time I'm fully entrenched in the business school because I get there, I meet these people. Uh, I'm so thankful for the time that I was there at, at, at Texas Southern because it was something. Something else that happened for me was it was the first time in my life where I had gone somewhere where I was not the only, pretty like the only one or one of two or three black people in the room. You know, everywhere I went, we everybody looked the same. So the advantage was to it that, like that was it like that in the Marines also? Hell yeah! Damn, bro, it was wow. like three of us that were black in the band, and it was like forty five people in there. Wow, I don't, I, I don't want to take you off, off, off on a tangent. No, no, so, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, it, it was for me, it was like that. Now, I don't know about everybody else's experience. I was fortunate, like I hung out with three other, you know, three of the black dudes, uh, you know, the, uh, the brothers that were on, that were on base. And, um, and we kind of just formed a click and we kicked it together. But majority of my career and my life, it's always been, you know, I've, I've always, you know, one or two. And most of us have that experience being black, especially if you're in, you know, in the corporate world, you're working. By the and, way, I wanted, I wanted, I wanted to uh, read one of Chandra's t- topics because he's talking about what this right now. She says, uh, uh, quote, I like where he's going when he acknowledges the effect trauma has on his life. Men don't acknowledge that enough. 
Yeah, man. Like, um, I'm very transparent with that stuff now with people and, you know, um, how important mental health is. Um, and, and, you know, cause something bad happened to you doesn't mean that that's who you are at all. It just means something bad happened. You got into a car wreck. That doesn't mean you're an asshole. You just got into a car wreck, you know, whether you cause it or not, you know, it just is what it is. Something, it just, something bad happened. That's okay. That analogy, that analogy gave me chills, man. Cause that's a, that, that, that's, that's a really, uh, great way of putting it. Great way of putting it. Yeah. So, um, where were we at? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. So, yeah, so when I was at TSU, you know, I just met some people and they were like, you know, I was going to going for management and, you know, uh, and a buddy of mine, uh, he was like, bro, you know, nothing against management specifically. It, it has its place, but he was like, why are you doing management? And I was like, well, I want to run my own business and I'm trying to own my studio and blah, blah, blah. He was like, bro, you need to do finance or accounting. And I was like, well, why that? And he was like, well, you leave with the skill set. He was like, nothing against management specifically, but you can kind of, you know, a lot of that's kind of common sense. You can read some books. You can kind of this and that. It's, you know, just how you deal with people. There's a little bit more to it than that, but but it, but for but he was right General for me. Speaking, he was right. Yeah. Yeah. For I, me I, I specifically, yeah. he was right because um, you know. So I switched my major to finance, and when I switched my major to finance, you know, it just kind of it, it just interesting. It changed the the paradigm just just enough. To where you know the people I was interacting with and working with, I was not you know in finance and accounting specifically finance. You're, it's not so much that you're a line item or operational person anymore. Your your finance in business is the future of business. Like where is this thing going? You know, and how is Project, it going to make projections money and things like that? Is that I'm sorry. Okay. Projection, projecting. Yeah, like projections, and you know, and well, not just projections, but portfolio. It's it's in finance, you're really playing in them. That's that's kind of the basis. Of, like finance and accounting is like the basis of, of money. Accounting is the language of money, a business. I mean, and finance is kind of is is like the is the forward projection of how that money is going to work. And gotcha. so, um, when I was when I was in finance. So, so a couple of things happened to me while I was at Texas Southern. I, um, I, I, so I was a non-traditional student. So I was 30, 32 when I got there and 31, 32 when I got to Texas Southern. So I was older. So I came there with a different purpose. I wasn't just coming to college just because my parents, I didn't know what else to do with my life. And I was blah, blah, blah. This time I was there. I, I knew I was here for this reason. But while I was there, I joined organizations. I, you know, I, I networked, I moved around. Well, that's when I became a social activist. Also, uh, I uh, so so, but through this whole time, I've been trying to start businesses. Like I've tried, I've tried to start so many businesses that failed so many times because I just didn't have all the kind of the. I was uh, not picking the right partners, not you know, but I was I was always forward movement. I'm always moving, always trying, always trying to figure out. I learned the right business plans. I learned to you know understand marketing plans. I understand look I, really the whole aspect and and the dynamic. Uh, you know, uh, a business, you know, widgets or widgets to me, you know, whether it's an operational business or a service business, it's all a widget, you know, they kind of, and, you know, so that's how I see business. But I became, uh, I became a social activist from the standpoint of a buddy of mine and I, he was a young guy, he's from California. Actually. Social, you said a social activist. Social activist, yeah. yeah um, okay. But so what we did was we leveraged the university to give us two acres. Now remember, the school is in the middle of Houston, it's third ward, it's the lower across the street from U of H. 
in the middle of the city, there's like, you know, anybody that lives in the urban area, it's very hard to come across green space. What we did was we leveraged the university and they, uh, they gave, they allowed us, they gave us two acres of green space to build an urban farm. So we, so I'm not a farmer. I don't, you know, I, I, my family has farming roots. When I was a kid going to visit grandma and grandpa and my mom's parents out in the, in the country, uh, my great uncle always grew, grew, grew vegetables, you know, grew peas and greens. And, you know, they were, they were, uh, they raised hogs and all this stuff when they were, when my mom was a kid. So I would go there and I'll have this experience of showing peas and, and, you know, seeing that. So I, it wasn't far from me. And at the time I was big into, you know, eating right, healthy food. I mean, I'm still into it, but I was really kind of um, this urban farming aspect, you know, this you know, farm to table. And how'd thing. you, how'd you, how, so the, the, I want to back up real quick. Cause I had mm-hmm. a great question from Chan and I apologize. I, I mean, to cut no, you no, off here, but um, how did you choose? Cause he's a business partner of yours, right? The gentleman you were partnering with. Well, he was he was a classmate of mine, so we had accounting together. And he was actually not a business major, and he was struggling in accounting. And we ended up, and he saw I knew he, smart. Tassalt is a smart kid. Shout out to Tassalt Baptiste. Uh, you, you know, if you have anybody, go follow him. He's doing some big stuff. He's actually in, got an acting career now. But um, he uh, he was smart enough to come sit next to me in class. And he started sitting next to me. And one day he was like, man, I need some help. And he's asked me. And so me, I helped him with his accounting. And, you know, I helped him pass his class, basically. And we became friends. And he just is like, like a decade younger than me. And um, I got and a follow on so, question to that real quick, yeah. though. So what would be because um, and this is this is coming from Chandra, too, because she has some great, some great points. I think she's trying to make is that when you partner with him, are there certain considerations you take before you partner on a project with anybody? Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, at that time, um, yes, there are. And, but sometimes you but but at the same time, there's not like um, I'm seasoned enough now. Well, I, I'll put it this way. You really don't know anybody until you start working with them, you know, until you until you suffer with somebody. And the suffering doesn't mean you've got to go through all these traumas. It just means you work together. Until we started working, till you start working with somebody, do you really know what they're really made of? And okay. so I don't really make, um, I, 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 there's I some you. things I see, yeah, but, but, you know, once you, but what I've really learned is once you realize this isn't going to work for you, it's okay. You need to cut, cut ties and, and jump off the ship, you know? So the best thing to do, I guess the best advice I would give about partnerships is, when you construct that contract or that agreement or that understanding going into it, you make sure that there's there's exit causes for you. There's ways you get out of that, how you get out of it, if you want, if you need to. Um, and in some cases, and as soon as you realize it's not going to work, and a lot of times you figure that out quicker than later, just just go. You know, okay, I mean, cool. that, that's just how so life is. Let's get back to it. Let's get back to it. Because yeah, you yeah, mentioned yeah. about how you guys were able to, to finesse it to with the college was helping yeah. you guys finance this mm-hmm. project actually, right? Is that a is that a so, fair assessment? Yeah. So what's interesting is um, so we 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 created this whole we created a program. We call it the Icarus International Green Program. And um, what we did we had we had a student. It was a not for profit that we tied to the university, but a student learning. So we had student organ. It was a student organization, and from so that was one tie. We had a service learning aspect. I had a professor. Who had a 400 level management class and and one of the pro- she always had a class project for students to do well for two semesters 
she used our project for, you know, as they were consultants to us to work through the problems that we were having inside right. of the project. So we had a service learning aspect that we that we used. Then we had we threw events there for the, for the community and for the school to come. And then we had a program for sixth, seventh and eighth graders on the, there's a church around the, around the corner from, from Texas Southern U of H. And um, they had, uh, they had a girl and a boy school and the boy school was actually on campus when I was there and the girl school was just right on the corner. Um, what we did was we, we went to them and we invited them in and they came in and we ran this program with them throughout the semester and the, the principal actually loved the program like me enough. She actually hired me on that year, that summer to work as a, as to work with the boys to get them back out there doing the work at the farm. And so from all this work, you know, people were asking me, well, how you're not a farmer, are you? I was like, no, I'm a finance guy. And they're like, well, how is this? I was like, it's all business. You still had to have operations. You still had to have a marketing plan. You still had to have, you know, all the elements of business you needed inside of this not-for-profit. And and from that, I actually became a, a, a National Wildlife Federation fellow. And so uh, a friend of mine was what like, was that? what was that? The National Wildlife Federation. Okay, gotcha. They're uh, NWF. They're one of the, uh, they're a uh, nonprofit that focuses in and um, pretty much like um, sustainability and, and, you know, being good stewards of, of, of the earth. And um, I was, uh, became a, I, I got a fellowship through them for 20, for 2014. And um, uh, for the work we were doing, you know, we had part, we were partnering with other um, nonprofits that were looking to feed people because we were grow, we were going to be growing food, and uh, which we did. And actually, that that asset is still there. It's, ten, it's been about ten years. That thing is still up and running, and people are still using it. And uh, which is really dope to see something that you created. You can still drive by there and be like, it's not you know the vision that we had, but it's still operational and still there and still going and still seeing that thing working. You mentioned um, you mentioned about systems, and when you set up a, a, a system, uh, like you said, properly, then it should be able to continue on without you. That's that's the goal, right? I yeah, mean, yeah, is that what we're talking about here? <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, and 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 so that's part of it. You know, so inside of business. You know, I tell people, um, you don't, you know, you want to be able to either sell your, well, depending on your exit strategy. Some people don't really care to sell. They just like what they do and want to work for themselves and have an autonomy. But if you're really trying to create an enterprise, you need to design something that you can either walk away from and other people, other people run or sell that somebody can walk into that makes sense. And it's easy for somebody to pick up. Uh, you know, there's, you know, that's, that's the ultimate goal in, in my mind for, for businesses. Um, I also wanted to open it up real quick one more time for one, one, of, our, one of our guests. It's going to be our last uh, question. Yeah, and I appreciate sure. taking all these questions, man. This is No, nah, man, it's not a problem, bro. Yeah. All right. So I got my friend Life on stage here on Clubhouse. Uh, she said she had a question for you uh, about 10 minutes ago, but uh, hopefully she's still with us. Life, can you, uh, are you able to uh, come off me uh, and ask a question? Yes. Good evening. Good afternoon. Good morning, uh, LJ. Thank you so much for this, all this knowledge really and truly, because, uh, for a long time, uh, my, my perspective of, you know, people been in the Marine when they came back, you know, when they come back, the, you know, the mental, uh, the mental, uh, in the, you know, financially, physically, emotionally, that is struggle. I really didn't understood and until it hit home. So it's not even so much of a question. I just want to say, like, I'm so grateful for you. You're not what happened to you. You are who you chose to become. 
you know, with all this, like, you know, and, uh, you know, unthinkable thing you doing right now, it just, I just want to say like, I'm proud of you. You know, it just, it's not easy. Like, especially when people go to Marine, when they come back and they suffer a lot with this PTSD thing earlier, you guys was talking about and stuff like that, you know, going over that and being such a strong man and you are today and making all these differences, you know, doing what you're doing. I just want to say thank you. You know, thank you. Thank you for being who you are. And LJ, like, thank you for being who you are as well. Well, thank you, Life. And then uh, we got Jay on stage. He wanted to say something before we, uh, kind of, as we're kind of winding down. Go ahead, Jay. Boys worth. Hey, man. I just wanted to, hey, first of all, thank this brother, Brandon. Uh, Brandon Cottenham, man. Well, I really appreciate you coming to share your story and, you know, add extra insight. And LJ, also you for providing this platform, you know, for us to be informed because, you know, as I was listening to your story, you know, I, like I said, I've never had any military background um, myself personally, my family. Yes, but not me. But it's just, I just think it's it's crazy. The similarities that, you know, even the life of a, mil- a military man, it kind of it's the same for for ordin- for a regular civilian. Right. Like so I went through a time where um, I've had to, you know, I've hit rock bottom and I, I had to move back home and, you know, just kind of trying to fight with that. Like, OK. Like, all right, well, my roommate, he he moved out on me. So now I got this three-bedroom crib, and I can't pay for it. It's by myself. So now I got to make a conscious decision and move back home. And I know uh, the challenges that that brought my way because I was so used to living a certain lifestyle or, or having, a you know, a certain stature that, you know, people looked at me and thought that I should be doing a certain thing and, it just—it was just kind of a fight with myself. So, just as your story correlates with mine, you know, even though we are, come from two different walks of life, I just think it's—it's it's awesome that you know somebody like you will come along and, you know, just share your experiences as well as LJ. And you know, I just think it's awesome. So, I just wanted to thank you for that this early Saturday morning. I appreciate it, brother. Man, thank you, thank you. I appreciate—I appreciate you as well, brother. Yeah, hundred percent. So kind of like as we're winding down, man, I have a few last minute questions. I, uh, I'm, I'm excited that uh, this one actually is kind of going uh, will go a little bit longer than I normally do, um, because I, I think we have a really good conversation going here. Um, and so when you got into this, uh, what were some of the uh, the early struggles you got into when you got into the investment banking uh, industry? Man, um, <clears throat> this is really where for me where I really started looking at real self-acceptance and really having to do a lot of work because um, I kind of, um, uh, for a long time, I had moved away from things that I was taught in the Marine Corps. I kind of felt that those things, you know, it was, they they were, I I was just, I just moved away from it. And I, you know, they just, I felt that, you know, that thing had betrayed me. You know, I had this negative, you know, just, just a real negative perspective on, on, on a lot of that stuff. Like I didn't, I just, just, yeah. I, and so what I started realizing was, um, I had to, that I didn't trust myself. I didn't, when, when I didn't realize I didn't trust myself, I didn't believe in myself it, that, you know, um, so a lot, a lot of things have happened for me in the past decade, you know, so let me, let me I got, maybe I need to frame some other things. Ahead, so, yeah. um, after so so after the housing crisis, I ended up homeless technically because 
I lost two apartments because I was in school and I was waiting tables. You know, I went from making, you know, a hundred dollars a day to making 30 and, um, uh, you know, just barely making it. I had to move in with my folks again. Luckily, you know, kind of at that time, uh, you know, I met my now wife. And, um, so I was able to get on, um, a government assistance for uh, a housing program for veterans called HUDVASH that Obama and the Obama administration had put through. And um, from there, I was able to stabilize because I could. I was in an apartment. I was in the city in an apartment, and uh, I, I at least knew I had a roof over my head, my own place. And, and, and as a grown man, that that means a lot, you know. Um, and I don't think people really realize, you know. Um, from I, I can't speak from a woman's perspective, you know, and, I, and I'm not trying it, but as a man, it meant a lot to be able to have a key to my own place that I knew that I could pay for and cover. And mentally what that did for me, it, it allowed me the space to be able to go and and challenge myself in, in this uh, arena of creating this creating this farm. Because there was a lot of work, two, it was about two years worth of pre-work that I had to do just to be able to start this thing. And I'm going to school and I'm working, I'm doing the thing. Um, that's when, you know, so I started therapy then, you know, I went to the VA and I was like, look, man, I, I need therapy. I was smoking a lot of weed, I was drinking a lot. You know, it was just, you know, I, I was doing these things to escape. And because when I started doing those things, it was because I was in such a bad place emotionally, you know, I just needed, to, I couldn't, I, and, I was, and I couldn't figure out how to, how to do it, man. It's been like 15 years, you know, 16 years I've been smoking weed and drinking and doing drugs and shit. And, um, and so I, um, when I was in finance, I started doing risk management. That was my, that was my, that was my focus. Because you know, finance was my it was my degree, but risk management was my focus. And from there, I met uh, you know I started meeting people. I got an insurance. I had my insurance license, and I started understanding I was about ask you that. I was yeah, ask I started understanding about banking. Yeah. I understand started started learning about how money works. You know, and I started just seeing all this stuff, and I was like, okay. And I've always been kind of like you know I've always understood the black experience in you know in in America as far as like. How you know? So my grandfather was the first black elected school board official to their parish since Reconstruction, and um, and so I I've kind of all and my mom was you know was local politics, so I've kind of always just been in the under aware of the, the the situation. So from there, I was like, okay, how, I, I once I started understanding that there's these mechanisms that you can use and these instruments you can use. To, to amass wealth and to amass money and to do, th you know, and how they operate and how they work. I understood what arbitrage was, how banks work. Now I started understanding there's private banks. There's banks that like, you know, they're, they're, they're you know, not like Chase and all that. There's like literal banks that, you know, they don't even have a, 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 a building or anything. They're businesses. And you're like, what? You know, and I started just understanding how this stuff worked. I interned at Northwestern Mutual, interned at these other places. I really started just seeing money and i was like okay so i know it's possible i know you can get it done i didn't really know how to get it done all, all you know there were still a lot of i uh, you know a lot of uh, gaps in in the space i had all this i had all these data points that were kind of strange everywhere but it was and so from there i met a gentleman he introduced me to funds so really and it was it was through real estate because at the time i was like well look i'm trying to I'm on my hustle. I'm like everybody else. I'm trying to make this money. I'm trying to get paid. I'm trying to figure out a way out of this hole, you know, just survival. to, to yeah. yeah, you know, I, not, you know, and, and I, and I didn't want to just survive. I was tired of surviving. I wanted to be able to thrive. 
you know, and um, and so I'm like, okay, look, I can do this real estate thing. That's what everybody was talking about. It's what I saw, what I had access to. So I got into real estate. I'm doing, I'm trying to do this. Real Man, to be honest, I never was physically able to ever do a real estate deal. Um, there and again, some, a lot, back on a lot of it was my mindset. I didn't, I didn't believe in me. And um, there was a lot of stuff I did, you know, I just doubted myself and I knew I had the, the, the cognizance to do. I understood everything. I knew I could sit there and explain everything to you and I could work through things and I could, you know, I could break down the whole process and all that stuff, but I just physically couldn't get myself over that hump for me. And so I could, I could help everybody else do it, but I couldn't do it for myself. So what ended up happening for me was I ended up being a point, you know, a, a bridge. I was like, well, I meet somebody and they were like, well, I want to do this. So I'm having this problem with this. Well, I know a guy over here because I was just going to all these events. I was networking and you know, I'm a believer in if you hang around something long enough, you become those things. Or there's a way that you, you know, if you hang around money long enough, you'll get money. And, and, and so I was around all these real estate people and I started just connecting other people to these people, to that person and that, and I was getting paid a little bit here, a little bit there off of that. And from, but from there, I ended up meeting people because I had a finance background and I understood how money worked and structurally. When I met Joel, I was able to, he, he let me come to his symposium because I understood money because then I started understanding money's in the money. And that's, that's, you know, if you want, that's a whole nother podcast, but the money's in the money. And um, when I started understanding the money game and the funds and syndications and how wealth aggregation works, then that changed the whole paradigm for me. And about this time um, in 2014, my first son was born. So when my son was born, it, you know, having a kid, it just changes everything. You know, it changes your whole for me, it just made me really be like, I got to I remember holding him in the hospital and just being like, OK, I got to be better. Right? Just do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I got got to be Good. better. Like there's no other option. You know, and every day it's kind of like, you know, it, it, you just have to get better. So um, from there, it, it just propelled me to. The desire became stronger. And when the desire became stronger every day moving forward. And it wasn't easy, but the desire became stronger. And the, and and I was fortunate enough, uh, you know. So one of my best friends and I start. He we started this. You know, he started the uh, the company originally, and um, and you know, we came together about you know a few months later, and we started this fund. And you know, we were going to raise this money. We were going to deploy it into real estate because that's what we understood and knew. Ah, and the money's in the money. Okay, I, I think I'm tracking. Keep going. Yeah, money's in the money. So once you have the money, think about a bank. Once a bank has some money, how does a banks make money? Because from for what's called arbitrage or well, two things, arbitrage. We 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 make the you know entities make deposits in banks. You know other large corporations. You know they make deposits in banks. And and in America we use what's called a fractional reserve system. So what that means is a bank is a a a, a, a billion you know a billion dollars. Well, they're only required to hold ten percent of that money in the inside of their in their bank itself. They can loan out the other ninety percent. And there's a process through which the banks go through that they create, you know, they create you, they literally create money through the fractional system by loaning, by taking in these deposits and loaning the money back out. And then when they do that over and over again, they then create this wave of cash flow that comes back to them. So they're loaning it out at a higher percentage than what they are receiving it. So 
you know, they'll take money in, they'll hold it, you know, they give you 2% on it if you're lucky. And but they're going to add the interest rate is going to be 8% for somebody else. But that bank makes 6% on that money. And it's not even their money. There and again, the money's in the money. They're in the money game. Wealth aggregation. Um, so because we had this fund set up, we had the structure, uh, a situation came up where a, another woman we knew was looking to expand her business in two different markets in the Houston Dallas market. She was out of Austin and um, she, she, she reached out to my business partner and um, then last went and met, met them. And there was this guy there named, there's this guy there and um, his name is Stephen Burkett. And um, last spends a day there. He calls me. He's like, you got to meet this guy, Steve. And I was like, I don't got to meet nobody. Like, you talking about, like, I got to bail. I was like, I don't got to be nobody. Like, okay, whatever. You know, he's like, you got to meet this guy, Steve. And he's just hyping him. I'm like, whatever, dude, whatever, whatever. So I was like, fine, I'll go meet this dude. Cause it was in Austin. And I was like, dude, I got a, I got a one year old. I got a, I got a fucking three year old. I don't have time for all that. I'm like, you know, if I go meet this dude, it's better be about it. I go meet Steve. We hit it off. And like, and he's now, uh, you know, he's, he's my business partner now. He's, he's the third bit person that joined our business. And, um, and with him, he has a history of, of um, investment of, of uh, he's a quantitative analyst. And so now I've learned over the past five years, how to be a quant as well. And, um, and so that's where. Could you briefly explain what that is, if you don't mind? A quant? Yeah. So a quantitative yeah. analyst is. A person who uses data and and you know factual data, third-party verif- verifiable data, to build the case that um, for us how we use it that 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 an asset is going to work. They use math. They use math to make things work. A, quant- a lot of times, quants are the guys that create algorithms. They're um, it, but they use math and, and a basis of math and numerology in order to prove out theorems and systems. Is that going? Is that going along the same lines of? And again, I'm just trying to paraphrase, so it may not be mm-hmm. the same, but um, adjacent. So, like a statistical analysis of what could happen, or is it more more specific than that? It's a little. It's more specific than that. Um, like a t- statistical analysis is kind of taking. Uh, it, th- that's that's a part of it, but that's not the whole thing. So, gotcha. so let's so let's say. Um, Okay, like with your podcast, um, or, or, or I'll, I'll take something different. Logistical business. Okay, so I want to start a logistical business, and you go, okay, um, what does that mean? How do you even know that the system, that the op, your op, that the that the construct of your business plan is even going to work? Right, right. That, that's a fundamental. And I ask people, how do you know that works? Well, you know, I, my friend told me this and then, okay, well, that's great, but I know they're right. And so what we do is we go in and we take data and we find, and we find trends. And if there's not trends there, we create the trends by taking correlative data points and sets and aligning them to where it, we can make a cross-reference and a parallel that shows and proves out the aspect that this this asset will perform this way inside the market and so when you guys build these cases i'm sorry go ahead ahead. no no go ahead what's your question so when you build these cases who who is who is the person that's making the final call on the cases like who 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 do you who do they 
who the case is built for or that or or are you just building them so that you guys can come together and say okay let's build a case for this and then we'll invest in it is that, is, is that make sense yeah so so all the above so we have internal projects that we run that we design out ourselves and um and and we use our system and our methodology to design those out for us but we also do it for 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 the market for clients so um so let's say somebody came to me and was like, I said, I want to start a logistical business. I'd be like, okay, cool. Um, you know, we focus on enterprise level. So what that means is we look at businesses that are needing at least 15 plus million dollars to in order to, to run. Now that could mean $15 million over a three to five year period, or it could mean $15 million just to start up. But you probably really need, if you need 15 million to start up, you're probably really needing about 50 or 60 to maintain over a five year term or the restabilization inside your business and uh, to be able to make sure that that business is going to go. Because what I started understanding about money and wealth isn't so much that it's not even so much the price itself, but just understanding is that the total price? Is that the total cost of what it is you need to make this asset run? Because what you don't want to have happen is a lot of times you only get one shot at one shot at going to so what ends up, this is why a lot of people hate investor vulture capitalists or like venture, they call them vulture, which is BS. What it really is, is you're missing something inside of the system. And that person is going to have to come in and, sub, and subsidize that aspect. Well, that's risk. And in the finance equation, uh, risk, you know, the amount of risk you take equals the amount of rewards you take. So if I've got to come in there and I've got to help you with your operations. I'm the one that's going to scale this business. I'm taking on, I'm investing millions of my dollars into your into your project. Why wouldn't I take 50%? Like real talk, you know? I mean, like, would you just give somebody your, your hard-earned money and your hard-earned work just to, just, if, for, for something that you know about really well and they don't know how to do really well and you're not just going to give them the money and let them walk off with it? That's crazy. No. Yeah. And the other thing is a lot of people don't understand a lot of these funds, these venture capital, they're backed by other funds. They're backed by, you know, they're backed by pension funds they're backed by insurance companies. They're backed by um, sovereign wealth funds. So they have a fiduciary responsibility to their investor base, too. Because, you know, so when you start understanding the, the diversification game and money, you start seeing that it's not really so much um, ancestral, but. It's 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 a system. It's a, it, it, it builds upon itself. You know, it, it aggregates to it. You know, money aggregates to money. So you have these large investment firms or, or governments like the U.S. government. They will put out, you know, think about this, like when the U.S. government, like right now, they're talking about the infrastructure bill. Well, the government isn't going to really put make those jobs. They're not going to physically go and build the roads. What they do is track for people to go off and, and make that happen. But so, but there's a middleman process. They, they, they allocate the money. So how does that money get from the federal reserve or federal government and some kind of bond structure out to on the ground to this business that's making that thing happen? Well, the government doesn't have the manpower and the people in place to, to go come down to, you know, Virginia beach and, and, and find out every business that's doing this. They don't have the manpower for that, but, there are groups like mine who do. And it's our business. It's our time. You know, the government's business is governing. It's not the business. They're not in the business of running businesses or right. investing in businesses directly. But my business is. So we interface. We go interface with the government and say, okay, tell me what the parameters are that you need 
this money to work to return to you work at or work at? What are the what are the rules around this money that have to be used? What are the rules of this engagement in this game? Uh, more like rules of this engagement, you know, these military talk. And well, right. it needs to. I'm sorry. What's up? Oh, go, go, go. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, go, no. Please, please. It needs to come back this way. It needs to have this amount of return. Or should, you know, it needs to. They're going to have all kind of specifications and particulars. Well, we what we specialize in and we're really damn good at is um, going in designing the asset that the money is invested to the vehicle which the money goes to exactly the way that the investor wants to see it. So. So, so what, so, so what does that mean then for both sides of this equation? So for the, for the, for the sponsor, for the entrepreneur, what that means is, Hey, I'm going to come and work with you. You've got to, you, you know, you're either startup or you've got a product, you're ready to scale, you're ready to move forward, but you, but most people don't know how they're really, it's a really, really good operators. A lot of people out there are really, really good at what they do, but they're not finance people, nothing against them. That's just what it is. No judgment, just, just analysis. Well, the same way you go to an engineer or architect, an architect to build your house. Well, when you're scaling, it's one thing I can build like a little hut. I might be able to come up and figure out how to put a tent together and put this. But for me to build a skyscraper, that's a whole nother level of expertise, understanding I need to put together. Even a, even a single family home to build a neighborhood. What does that look like? There's a lot of detail and understanding and, ex, and expertise that have to go into that. And so that's where we come in from a financial standpoint. We're able to take all those pieces, put them all together, align them up in, in such a way that the throughput shows how that money comes in, how then the money flows through this through the system and its operation, and then the money returns back and making sure that it is done in a manner that 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 meets the requirements of the person that gave them the money. So if you're if you're an entrepreneur, and you're looking to scale, or you're looking, I tell everybody, man, you know, a lot of people, now that I've done that, you know, I've been the guy who was just a total dreamer, like, oh, we can go and we're going to build this city and we're going to help these people. We're going to do this and that and blah, blah, blah. And, oh, and then you really get down to it. You can't, and you sit there and you meet the person that's five years later, they still ain't done shit. Not right. because their intention is not strong. They just don't have whatever reason, haven't put it together. And there's multiple reasons why that happens. But um, but then, you know, I've been the, we call them dreamers. I've been the dreamer. Now I'm 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 the castle builder on the ground. You know, so it's one thing to build a castle in the sky. It's a whole other thing to build on the ground. So now it's an aspect of, OK, let's really realistically look at what the market is yielding, because and because if you're not you're not really looking inside what the market is doing, how the market is behaving, you know, and, and what the expectation is of the market, then you're already off base. How do you know that what you're building is on par? How do you know that what you're going to build is going to be able to withstand for, for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years? How do you know you're going to be able to get to that exit, exit strategy that you're looking for inside of your business if you don't have a plan? I tell people the first thing you need to do as an entrepreneur is get a freaking plan. Like, I'd rather you have a plan before you have a product. Because if you want a plan... Now you can, the Joker said this, the best in Batman. You can kill a million people as long as it's part going to plan. That's why people, you'll be in the military. That's why, that's why they, they, hey, we know X amount of people are probably going to die. It's according to plan. So same thing. If, you, if, if you're going to lose money for two years, 
And if it's in the plan and I've agreed to that plan, that's okay. Because there's other things in the background from the sponsor, from the person that's giving you the money, they might need you to lose money because they've got all these invest other investments coming in at 2000% return. And they got a tax liability on that. Well, they might need to lose this money so they can offset that tax liability. So they're not coming out of pocket for a bunch of money or keeping as much as much there. And in this game, you'd rather get the money work. The goal is to get the money working in the market versus going back to Uncle Sam. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. Everybody should pay their fair share of taxes. But it going back to Uncle Sam isn't directly creating jobs. If I'm giving you the money, I am now creating jobs. I'm 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 putting I'm putting food in somebody's table. I'm paying, I'm sending some I'm paying somebody's mortgage. I'm sending I'm able to help somebody send their kid to college. And that's how that's what that's how this system works. And when I started understanding that, and that's where I've been understanding them now. And through that process, the self-acceptance part of that was getting to the point where I felt I deserved to be a part of that system. Because for the longest time for me, it was it was these other people over there that did it. I knew it was possible because I see a skyscraper go up. I see yeah. people riding Bentleys. I see people live having large, especially in today's world, you know, shit, Instagram and social media. You see all this stuff. You see all this luxury. You see people with jewelry. And I'm like, I know they can, you can do this, but how do you really get to a point where you're worth $250 million? You're running a company that has revenues of, of you know, a billion dollars. And you'd be surprised how many companies that are not public have those statuses banks that are out there. It's a lot of money and a lot of stuff flowing through this system. And and I had to get to a point where I recognized that that was for me. I belong there just as much as anybody else did. And that was my problem because I was still carrying this, this distrust of myself from shit that happened to me when I was 20, 19, 20 years old. It wasn't until I was in my, my late 30s, even early you know 40s before I really was like, this belongs to me too. I'm just this. I, I'm worth this just as much as anybody else is worth it. I was always smart enough. And that was that was never my issue. Was intelligence. It was always about my self worth. There were so many opportunities that people saw the intelligence in me but couldn't see all the damage inside that they gave to me that I never walked through. There were so many opportunities. When I've gone back now and I was a sober mind and gone back, I'm like man, I, I fucked that one up. Oh, I missed that one. Oh, that dude was trying to help me out. Oh man, I got I missed that one. And it all came back and stemmed to the belief that I wasn't good enough. And if I still held that belief, I wouldn't be in this aspect now of being able to look at international deals of doing things that are first time unique to ever been done in a country before. You know, looking at going in and being able to solve someone's problem, really create jobs, help people stay in homes help people, you know, um, I, I have a personal initiative of, um, so I, I, I've had this concept of, of a show of, of, of the intersection of where hip, you know, hip hop meets economics or the culture meets economics and, and, and putting that together and really understanding how, why black banks have failed historically, why the black, why this racial wealth gap is there and how we, how, how and the mechanisms of ways we can really get past that. And there's some structural things and it's, it, there's some things we can do in today's world because of the internet, because of access to information and connectivity that we cannot do 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And, you know, now 
if I hadn't been, you know, accepted who I am, stepped into my purpose, stepped into, um, accepting my greatness, accepting those old the other things I had thrown away before and being at this place now and moving it forward, going to therapy, going, you know, having a meditative practice, you know, um, uh, you know, staying, you know, staying true to my marriage and my relationships with my family and friends and being honest with myself and the others around me. And it was really until this year I could ever tell anybody publicly that I was separated from the Marine Corps. It's over 20 years later because the shame that I felt for that and to be able to now express that and share that I've found so much more for me personally and being freeing and, and allowing me the bandwidth to really move in, in it. Cause now it's not a boon over me anymore before it was like this anchor weighing me down. Sure, now it's a freaking weapon I use as a motivation, as a part of my testimony story. And if it moves you out of the way and it makes you don't want to do business with me, great. Because that's one less thing I don't have to spend energy on. It allows it attracts to me the people that respect that and 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 see them see the value in that and brings me to them and not that's the person I really want to work with anyways. No disrespect to anybody else. And I'm not judging. If that's what does, that turns you off, that's your that's your prerogative. That's cool. But it, it allows that's me to really be my authentic me and accept who I am and and not have to pretend to be anything else that I'm not. And, it, and in which then creates the real momentum and the real power for me to be effective inside the marketplace. Hundred percent. So as we're kind of winding down, listen, man. Uh, I know I've been long winded. I apologize. I, I I I was actually going to tell you, man. Um, the thing that I like about this show, the way I, I like to run it, is I want to stay out of the way. You know what I'm saying? I like to let people kind of express where they're coming from because um, it's it's a uh, it's 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 built that way. It's built into my system. You know what I'm saying? Like that's part of why I, I like that's the reason why I do the show the way I do it. Um, and so as we kind of winding down, first of all, I want to thank you for doing the show. Um, if as a listener you're getting value out of this show, you can listen to it again on Apple, Spotify, because right now we're live on you know Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, wherever. Um, but if you want to re-listen to this, uh, it, it'll be posted within the next couple of weeks on uh, Apple and Spotify, um, as always. And um, yeah, share this with a couple people that you think would get value out of it. Um, if you got value out of it, uh, do me a favor. It doesn't cost you anything. Just rate, review the show, uh, write, an, write an honest review, uh, listen to an episode uh, on Apple. You can scroll down, just write an honest review, what you thought about the episode or what you think about the show in general. Um, it definitely helps uh, motivate me to keep doing what I'm doing. And uh, listen, uh, Brandon, before we wrap up, I'd like to give my guest the last word. So as it relates to self-acceptance or anything we talked about during this episode, what would you like to leave our audience with, sir? Man, um, there's two quotes uh, that I have. One is a Miles Davis quote, and um, and one is a Martin Luther King Jr. quote. Uh, the Miles Davis quote is, "Well, sometimes you, you gotta you gotta play long enough to be able to play to play for yourself. Sometimes you gotta just keep playing in order to be able to play for yourself, to have to find your voice. And what that really means is you gotta you gotta do the thing, you gotta do you long enough to find your voice and know how you're doing it. And 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 I would tell people, keep going, you know. And so the second quote is Martin Luther King Jr. quote. It's um if you if you can't run, walk, if you can't walk, uh uh crawl, but whatever you do, don't give up. And, you know, so, so when I parallel those two together, it's, it's, you know, always keep moving forward. 
you know, there have been times when, you know, um, man, the pandemic was rough on us. You know, my kids came home, I got sick, you know, I couldn't send them back to school because I was, you know, I was high risk. And, um, you know, so for a year and a half, my kids were home and I, we were almost pretty much had to shut down our business and it was, it was rough. And, but, you know, we kept going. We've always kept going. I've always kept going. Even when I didn't know where I was going, sometimes people go, well, how'd you get here? I don't know. I just knew that this was a piece of, some just told me to do this and, and go this direction. And I did it. I didn't, you know, having that faith and, and believing, you know, um, and that I can figure it out because no one really knows what, what's around. The, none of us know what's around the corner. None of us do. And anybody tells you any difference, full shit, you know? So, um, you know, just really, you know, life, this game is about, you know, being an entrepreneur specifically, a lot of times it's about attrition. It's about keeping going, working through, you know, collecting those data, working through, you know, what we would, some people call failure and, 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 and reflecting back on, how how do I use this? What did this teach me? Where am I supposed to? What lesson was there for me to get to this? What data am I supposed to glean from this? Whether it be personal, whether it be financial, whether it be spiritual, emotional, you know, all of it is not. It's for not. It's not for not. All of it is telling you something. Be aware of your emotions and listen to them. They are. They are. They are not something to suppress. They're something to take information from, and they're not something to wallow in either. Even joy, you're not supposed to really hold happiness and joy so hard. It's just letting you know that this is something that is that you like. So keep doing more of it. Don't revel in the fact of the joy itself, but just recognize that, oh, this thing brought me pleasure. I should probably do this again. Oh, this thing brought me fucking pain. I need to I need to either adjust how I do this or leave it alone completely. You know, um, and, and accepting and it goes back, you know, it's accepting who you are as a whole person. You know, do the work that you need. Do those exercises to break your cycles of negative talk, negative beliefs, negative whatever, and opening up more of those cycles to um, positivity, abundance, and acceptance of moving who you are. And you know, once you once you have that, then your you your your being accepting more of your being makes it easier, more of your doing.